Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. In this lecture, Professor Peter Walker will discuss research into new ways of using traditional building materials, such as earth, hemp and straw, as a greener choice for modern construction. Professor Walker is Director of the BRE Centre for Innovative Construction Materials at the University. Colleagues, guests, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this inaugural lecture to be given by Professor Pete Walker from the Department of Architecture and Civil Engineering. Uh, just a, an initial domestic to start with. Uh, could you please ensure that your mobile phones are switched off or in uh, non-communicado? Pete's lecture actually is uh, very timely considering the turbulent financial times we were in. Rather than buy a new home, why not just grow one? Pete will enlighten us on how to do that in his lecture titled Grow Your Own Building from Earth, Hemp and Straw. For obvious reasons, we did not send any invites to local builders' merchants. Um, but a little bit about, about Pete. Um, Pete graduated from that great seat of learning Sheffield Poly, now Sheffield Hallam University in 1983. In putting Pete's career history together, we find ourselves actually uh, graduating from that same institution around about the same time. Our paths have obviously crossed before. Probably in the fluids lab opposite the Poly, better known as the Sheffield Beer Keller. <laughs> After enduring a, a frugal life in the People's Republic of South Yorkshire, he decided, to, uh, he decided to move to a more affluent, affluent lifestyle in Scotland, uh, to the University of Edinburgh, where he undertook a PhD and graduated in 1987. After working in Zimbabwe and Australia, he finally arrived at the University of Bath in 1998 to take up an academic position in the Department of Architecture and Civil Engineering. His arrival had immediate impact as he captained the department's civil disobedience team to victory in the University Bath Staff Association's Skittles Cup final. <laughs> the scene was obviously set for an illustrious academic career. To date, he has published over 100 technical articles, secured over £2 million in research income, and has been a much sought-after international conference speaker. In 2006, he became the Building Research Establishment Trust Chair in Innovative Construction Materials and is, the <coughs> and is the Director of the BRE Industrially Sponsored Research Chair of the same name. He's a Chartered Engineer and a Founding Chair of Earth Building UK, an organisation created to develop and promote the use of earth in modern construction as well as conservation projects. Pete and I'll call upon you to deliver your inaugural lecture. Right, okay. Thank you, Gary, and thank you all for coming. I'm quite amazed how many people have come along. Um, so the topic of my presentation is looking at alternative natural building materials in construction. And... When I first came to Bath and said I was going to work on unfed clay and straw and things, it was distinctly hippie and distinctly fringe. Things have moved on, particularly in recent years, 
Uh, and now we're seeing that natural materials are getting recognized. So prefabricated straw bale construction, winning off-site construction magazine, best product of the year last year, something that would have been inconceivable a few years ago. Other buildings are also being recognized, um, ram chalk, rammed earth buildings, and the Adams building, which uses hemp and lime, are also all award-winning projects. Kevin McLeod likes them. Um, he chose, when he decided to do the house that he built, or someone else built for him, he chose straw bales, and many of the buildings that appear on his program are also used straw. Um, right. Oh, sorry, I'm having problems with that. Even Mail on Sunday readers like them. In the competition, Home for the Future, the winner included unfried clay bricks and hemp lime materials. Unfortunately, only in the proposal, not in the realisation, but uh, uh, worthy nonetheless. Meanwhile, the construction industry, I think, largely goes on. It's changing, but slowly. So, in my lecture, I want to look at the potential for mainstream uptake of these materials and look at the issues that maybe are restricting them. Uh, what's innovative about natural building materials? Many of these are traditional materials that have been used for many years. Um, what can they make? Contribution can they make to modern buildings? Um, what are the barriers to mainstream uptake? And how can we overcome these barriers? So first of all, define the materials that I'm talking about. Low-carbon building materials. Um, inorganic materials, largely stone, and what better city than Bath to talk about stone, and um, earth construction, mainly using subsoil-based material, not, not uh, topsoil. Plant-based materials, of course, timber and wood-based products are well-established and well-known. So I'm actually talking about uh, some of the alternative materials, such as using straw, hemp, and also fibres being used in comp composite materials grown specifically hemp, fibres, flax, sisal, and also bamboo and reeds. And then other biome-based materials, animal-based. We've seen sheep's wool material come into the market as an insulation material. Fibres such as horsehair used traditionally in uh, plasters and renders. And then other animal-based products, blood, urine, etc. Also used traditionally for, as a stabiliser in earth and construction. As part of my lecture, I've brought along a number of samples of materials to pass around. <laughs> But I haven't bought uh, the last two. <laughs> You'll be pleased. Natural materials have formed the basis of world architecture, vernacular architecture, and probably no better exemplified than in Yemen with these multi-story buildings of earth, built simply of clay and straw, reaching 11 stories and above, very densely populated buildings. Um, what are the opportunities now to go back to natural to these natural materials. Really, in post-industrialized society, we've seen a move away from natural materials, more towards processed materials, concrete, steels, plastics, fired bricks, fired clay products, and other materials that have come in that have largely misplaced those. But in the last 10, 20 years, perhaps going back to the 1970s and the fuel crisis, energy crisis, there's opportunities for these materials because of their lower embodied carbon, as, a, as a, an off, a side benefit in terms of their better building environmental performance, insulation and, and regulation of humidity, leading to healthier buildings using renewable resources and hopefully with reduced waste. 
The carbon argument is an important issue in, in developing and promoting these materials. Um, and I use this figure as, to, as cement production because cement is such a successful material. It's not because I'm necessarily anti-cement, but it's such a widely used material that it, the cement industry um, will agree to the fact that it contributes a, around 5% of global industrial or uh, in, industrial CO2 emissions. It's projected to increase to maybe up to 5 billion tonnes um, per annum by 2050 because of its success as a material. It's a very easy to use material. It's relatively inexpensive at the moment. In terms of contrast, then if we look at plant-based materials, it has the capacity to store carbon through the growth of the plants and as long as the that material remains in the building and is not uh, broken down or burnt or disposed of, then that carbon stays locked up in the material. So hemp lime can store around 110 kilograms of CO2 per cubic meter, straw bale around 145 kilograms, whilst competing materials, which primarily the bottom line competition is masonry construction, brick and block cavity wall construction, emits during construction or during the production of the materials um, about 110 kilograms. So there's a considerable saving to be had in CO2 um, through the use of plant-based materials. On the other side, building health is also an offshoot of using these materials. Asthma is linked to high humidity levels in, in buildings, and the UK has one of the highest incident rates of asthma in the world, and I think Scotland has the highest incident rate. And there is studies undertaken to show strong correlation between uh, humidity levels in buildings and uh, asthma, as well as there are other triggers as well, of course. And also sick building syndrome linked to uh, pollutants in the air, fungal spores. And so, by association, the humidity control available through some of these materials is reported and has slowly been proven to have positive health benefits for the occupants of these buildings. So the types of material, the three specific materials in the title of my uh, lecture, um, really I don't grow earth, but earth is a medium in which you grow things in, so that's why I uh, sort of included it in growing your own building. Um, so starting off with earth, probably one of the oldest forms of building material, adobe bricks or sun, mud blocks, sun-dried, as seen here in, um, in Mali, uh, just manufacturing them, small cottage industry, mixing up the clay dug into a suitable mixture with water and then laid with a mould to dry in the sun. An example here, closer to home in Somerset in Taunton, but essentially the same technology, using uh, a very lowly processed material, one that's readily uh, recycled and re, uh, or reused. Uh, and then um, in, at uh, the Eden Project in Cornwall, also another example of using, uh, in modern construction, uh, modern project adobe blocks. Cob construction, uh, which is um, a form of clay and straw construction, uh, which is popular in parts of the UK, particularly Devon, where the, it's an in-situ form of construction, a stacked form of construction, as you can see here, stack, compacting it down by foot and trimming it back, built up in heights of about a metre at a go, let to dry, and then you do the next layer. And it lends itself to sculptural uh, aspects of architecture, such as this stairway, and also buildings here, at, shown here again at the Eden Project. 
Um, rammed earth is a technology that's probably similarly as old as Adobe construction, many millennia old, where essentially the, the technology is to compact subsoil inside a temporary box. In this case, using a pneumatic rammer and concrete formwork. And people have lent, because of this process, see it as an industrial material as opposed to cob and adobe construction, uh, which I think is, to some extent, a, a mistake in the sense that there's still a craft aspect, a knowledge of materials and construction required to successfully um, use this material. And this is a project in Durham where around 65% of the material on site was recycled and re used in these walls. Uh, oh, problems with me. And this is um, a rammed earth project in Austria where I think one of the reasons why it's popular there is because of its straight lines. I think architects like these sort of modernist straight lines uh, as opposed to sort of the, uh, the other vernacular approaches. Compressed earth block is a, a variation on adobe construction where you take mud and you form a block. In this sense, this sense much drier and compacted pneumatically to form a much denser and stronger material. And an example here where it's popular in, in Australasia, this particular in New Zealand. Extruded clay. We've been extruding clay certainly since the Victorian times for brick manufacture. Um, and this is a simple unit here in, in a Scottish brick brick factory where you extrude the clay outside the, uh, through a die here and then it's wire cut into making the blocks that we, or the bricks that we know, they're dried and then put in a kiln and fired. And there's a lot of energy that goes into the process of first of all drying but particularly in the firing process to turn it into fired clay. There are opportunities to use these bricks without firing, essentially a modern form of adobe construction. And my first sort of sample to throw around is, in fact, one of those blocks shown on that screen there, or a piece of clay. So, um, also, uh, other forms of that, not just brick shape, but more larger block, preformed blocks. This one's containing waste gypsum inside, and also extruded products of plasterboard as well, which are here manufactured in Germany and used as a replacement for gypsum plasterboard the intention of being screwed directly just to timber stud work, which leads to my second sample to show around. Um, right. And then also using clay plasters, again, a, a very traditional vernacular approach, but has qualities about it that has, has seen it um, come in perhaps more popular than other earth building techniques the advantage of using clay in terms of aesthetics, but also in terms of its, um, as we'll see later, its hygroscopic regulation and, and breathing uh, abilities in walls. Moving on to straw, straw has, as straw bale, has something of a less, a, sh a shorter tradition, about a 120 years or so. Um, bales were built or first compacted in the sort of 1880s mechanically, and as the story goes, in Nebraska, there were very few other building materials around, as this, uh, sorry, as this uh, photograph would sort of demonstrate. And um, so they built buildings with straw. They realized that the straw actually had very good insulating qualities, and so uh, continued to build with straw well into the start of the 20th century. And this building, building there, which dates from the early start of the 20th century, is still there, or so I'm told. Whereas this building is in France, just outside Paris, 
uh, built in the 20s and was also there. So testaments to the durability of straw. Uh, so in terms of modern usage, 1970s onwards, then it's been attractive to the self-build industry uh, where people get together with a few friends, volunteers, and put up, build a house in a weekend. And very, the, the bales themselves are very large building blocks or bricks, and you can actually put a wall up remarkably quickly, but not necessarily particularly straight, but it's certainly built quite quickly. And with some adjustments, you can get some form of verticality, um, <laughs> which by bale standards is reasonably vertical. Um, and then following that, once you've got your line, then you put a top, top plate on there, which is then strapped down, and the whole thing is compressed down to make the whole building a little bit more stable and to receive the, uh, the roof construction on top of that. And it's important that the loads on here are distributed evenly, and there are problems with openings and windows because as the load comes on the straw, then the straw settles, and you need to accommodate that movement around those openings. But you can produce... Uh, load-bearing straw bale buildings with quite heavy roofs. As shown here, this is a planted roof, and this is quite a heavy roof structure sitting on, supported on straw bale walls which are plastered. Um, a simpler technique using the insulating qualities of straw bale is to use it as an infill in timber frame construction. So we see bales just being stacked here inside timber frame. This is uh, one of the um, grand designs projects, the Woodland House and here in Germany, it's been stacked inside timber framework. The straw provides very good insulation qualities. And in a finished building, this is shown in, um, this is in Finland, in Helsinki. Externally, you wouldn't know it was a straw bale building. This has led to the problems with using straw on site, particularly in this country, is, of course, our wonderful weather and the propensity for it to rain occasionally. Um, it limits its, one of the key aspects is obviously keeping the bales dry as much as you can. So this has led to the idea of prefabrication. Uh, this is one project that I've been working on on ModCell. There are other products around uh, where you have a frame filled with straw and then fill, completed off with lime render, uh, manufactured off-site as much as possible and then delivered and craned in site. So modern methods of construction using traditional materials. And this again leads to projects like here it's shown the um, York Eco Depot, York City Council building. Uh, and then another example uh, where you've got straw and a timber finish. Hemp has come um, back into interest in the, last few, in the last 10 years or so. Hemp was widely grown around the world, particularly in this country, for its fibres until the, really the 1920s, 1930s, when I think the... Um, introduction of artificial fibres, nylons, rayons. It was discredited because of its association with marijuana. Um, and, but in the last 10 years or so, through, grown under licence, industrial hemp is now being regrown in the UK and about 10,000 hectares or so are grown every year. And that's, that amount of growth, that land use is growing as well. It grows very quickly, um, up to about 4 metres in around three to four months. It's the second fastest plant, growing plant in the world. Uh, and because of that, it, you can use it as a break crop. It's, it means it's not displacing food crops. You can use it on land together with food in the same annual cycle. And as part of its growth, it's uh, reckoned to improve the quality of the soil as well. 
So here's the, the uh, hemp plants being harvested, and I've got a stem of a hemp plant dried here to pass around. And on the outside, you'll see as it comes around, the fibres, the high-value product, are there, and that's really what the, uh, the plant is being grown for. But for building purposes, I'm more interested in what's left over after the um, fibres have been removed, which is this shiv-based material, or woody stem, which is about 60% of the material. When mixed together with a lime-based product, uh, shown here, dry bagged, you get a wet mix. Ooh, I'm having problems with me prompter. Um, you get a wet material like this, hemp, lime, and water, which is then placed to form an insulating solid form of construction. You can cast it, which basically is lightly tamping it inside, formwork like so, always used together with um, a frame structure, so either mostly timber frame, but sometimes steel frame structures. It's not, um, per se, a structural material directly. If I can... Uh, and then you can see the, the uh, tamped material together with the frame structure and the layers of tamping. The fact that the guy's using um, a sledgehammer, it's lightly tamped rather than particularly uh, tamped very hard. And then as an alternative is sprayed technology where you spray the material. It's seen as a faster, more efficient form of construction, but the sprays being used to date have been adopted from the concrete industry and it's sometimes are a bit like a a sledgehammer to crack a nut sometimes. There are problems with that, this spray technology in controlling it. But it's proving to be more efficient in, in larger scale projects than casting. And you can end up with finished, the materials are finished off uh, usually with a lime render. And to get the benefits of the qualities of these materials, it's important that the render system, plaster system, is also breathable, vapor permeable, so moisture can travel through the finish. And also masonry materials, making blocks. We were involved in a research project to develop a block with essentially the target of a zero-carbon block. The embodied energy offset by the use of the hemp material provided you with a zero-carbon block. Uh, and that was used in the Adams project in um, a diaphragm wall, which was then filled in with lighter weight hemp material as well. And that's the Adams project under construction. I've forgotten to... Uh, is a hemp lime cylinder to come around. The need for innovation. This is a modern cob building built in Devon. It follows very much the traditional vernacular approach to cob construction and uh, is a very beautiful and also very expensive um, building. In response to the needs for building control, there were problems of thermal insulation and so the builder chose to simply to overcome the problems of achieving adequate thermal insulation to meet building control to build walls that were 900 millimetres thick, which has certain limitations for uh, uptake into the mainstream, um, both in terms of the cost of materials, the cost of laying the materials, and obviously the footprint of the building on a building site. So the challenge is to use un thin, unfired clay walls. And here, using unfired clay bricks is the one that's being passed around, which potentially can provide you with walls that are 100 millimetres thick, still provide you with some of the benefits, or many of the benefits of unfired clay construction without the um, 900 millimetres of material, and much more efficiently using ins alternative insulation material when used here together with a timber stud building. So in some of the research work that we've been undertaken and others have been undertaken, uh, 
have been performing in recent years. Uh, it's important to develop and understand the materials. And three, four key aspects that I'd like to just uh, look at briefly in terms of strength, durability, performance in relation to moisture, and thermal performance as well. So first of all, earth construction. Earth is a hygroscopic material, as are as timber and, to some extent, other materials as well, gypsum plaster, lightweight concrete. And this graph, taken from work carried out in Germany, shows the response of these materials to absorbing water in grams per square metre uh, from a change in a very dry climate to uh, a 95% humidity and the number of hours it takes. So the earth brick, the unfired earth brick, absorbs, as do the other materials, but most effectively the earth brick absorbs water in response to that increase in humidity. In the same way, it releases the moisture when the surrounding climate uh, dries out. So it buffers and helps to buffer the, the um, humidity as shown in this next graph. This is taken from uh, research undertaken in Scotland showing for a one-year period um, the variation in relative humidity in an unfired clay brick house and how in terms of the external variation um, of humidity and then the, the changes both in the bedrooms, bathroom and living room in that building. There are some spikes here that aren't shown because in some texts you'll read that um, unfired clay responds so quickly that if you have a shower in a cold room, your mirror won't steam up. Well, I can speak from personal experience of trying this experiment that the mirror does steam up and that the hygroscopic qualities do not respond fast enough as you would, uh, could establish quite easily without the experiment. Um, but uh, it does, on the longer term, buffer and control that humidity levels down to sort of 40 to 60%, down to levels where you, you, you are starting to see health benefits in the building. And, of course, as the, um, the moisture content of the, the clay changes, so does its other properties. And using bricks, we look to use them structurally to support the building, um, so their, their strength is an important aspect. And this graph shows the change in moisture content for an unfired clay brick, which is this blue line here, for a change in relative humidity. And we see that from 40 to 95, the moisture content changes to about 1.3 up to about 2.8, uh, 2.9%. Over the same period, the strength, the compressive strength, which is the crushing strength of the material, decreases from around 2.8, 2.9%. Uh, sorry, uh, 3.8 down to about 2.9 newtons a square millimetre in a range that's perfectly adequate for this material to be used. Uh, sorry. I might go to the mass. Right. Okay, uh, looking at um, durability of rammed earth, um, materials want to be exposed. People pay a lot of money for a, a rammed earth building, so they want it to be seen. And so... Uh, knowing and understanding the durability of the material in response to rainfall and in response to frost is important. So some of the work that we're doing and is ongoing, it's on, those panels are on the roof of uh, Norwood House, is looking at the aspects of material quality and grading in response to durability. And in particular, the shape of the gravel has uh, an important aspect in terms of its uh, durability. The gravel content is also important as a shape. And the, the flat gravel, as you might expect, uh, in, performs much better than the rounder gravel in terms of resisting that. In terms of the uh, thin, unfired clay walls, then we've been doing quite a lot of work over the last 
four or five years, looking at developing um, mortar systems for these panels. So we know that uh, a clay mortar is not adequate for a 100 millimeter thick wall. It would not provide sufficient robustness and resilience. So we've developed looking at clay-based systems with other additives to establish a workable system um, that will allow us to build thin walls. Looking at straw bale construction, then, as I said, straws can be, straw can be used as a load-bearing material, but it's a very soft material, so if you put some weight on it, it compresses a lot. If you add a clay, um, in this case, a lime plaster to it, which is primarily there, well, the intention there is to provide protection to the straw to make sure it keeps dry, it also adds significant structural resilience to the straw as well. And the comparison between this graph here, which is load, this is kilonewtons, so... Uh, for, the engineers not, um, for, the, for those of you who are not engineers, then 10 kilonewtons is roughly one tonne. So the difference between plastering and unplastering in terms of the vertical displacement is significant in just applying the plaster. It helps, the it's, a, it's a structural plaster, so the material is working compositely together. Resistance to windler, going back to the prefabricated system, um, in the first ever test we did to, see, to try and establish the, resist, the capacity of the panels to resist wind, we started with a vertical panel and we were using a winch, winch system on a, on a uh, hinge, dropped the panel horizontally and used the self-weight to simulate the pressures that would coincident with um, wind. And then when we got it horizontal, we formed the first straw bale floor slab. Um, and using students and other staff members, in the uh, department, we were able to uh, further demonstrate its structural qualities, and it passed the test flying colours. We're also, of course, durability of straw is a key aspect uh, of any biobased material, and so we've been undertaking tests in Cornwall, uh, using, look, assessing different render systems and their ability to protect the straw. Uh, sorry for the slide. Hopefully you can just about pick that up. But this is straw moisture content we've been measuring against rainfall over a two-month period. And it fluctuates on the surface and fluctuates less uh, in the middle of the, the straw. But on the whole, the, the, the moisture content is staying well below the sort of safe level of 25% commensurate with decay. And when it goes above that, it's a short peak. And we know that uh, for decay to, to come in place, the moisture content needs to stay high and for prolonged periods. So we've got established render systems and even more better is a timber rain screen system which is holding that moisture content. Two of these aspects is that the um, back, um, it's showing that the render is breathing in the sense it la a la when it rains moisture comes in but when it's a dry period moisture comes out so it's the, the vapor permeable aspects of the render are very important to, so the moisture, if it does get in, can also get out again. Um, we're doing, we've done, or CWCT, Centre for Window and Cladding Technology, as partners of a project, undertook thermal analysis of straw, which is seen as a lightweight <laughs> form of construction. But actually, a numerical model is suggesting that the straw bale has what is called thermal mass, in the sense that there's a time lag between uh, external and internal conditions. So if it gets hot in the middle of the day, you're not really feeling that, uh, until about 12 hours later, which is probably about the perfect lag time between outside and inside. We seek in an ongoing research project to establish that experimentally. And then, sorry, hot off the press, yesterday we uh, did a fire test on a straw bale panel. 
uh, because another aspect of straw is it's going to burn down. So here's uh, a mod cell panel which is rendered with 32 millimeters of render on either side and filled with straw. And it's uh, a door, the panel is up against a furnace. And after one hour, uh, the, the, the timber surround was starting, was charring and smoke was coming out, but the render was still intact. And on one side, I don't know, hopefully you can think, I mean, unless you're seeing in the front row, you're going to see these numbers. But in the, in the furnace, the average temperature after one hour was 946 degrees. The surface temperature of the straw on the coal side was 13, 14, 15 degrees. So it worked extremely effectively in fire. Around the edges here, we're starting to get to 40 or 30 odd degrees centigrade. So it's worked extremely well. And the panel, uh, that's um, red hot straw, as photographed through a window at the back of the furnace. Um, after the render fell off, after about an hour and a half, uh, the straw started to char back, but didn't all just disappear. It carried on testing for about another 50 minutes. And then we stopped the test before the panel failed. The panel had to achieve a one-hour fire resistance, and we stopped it after two hours and 23 minutes. And I think it could have gone on for a bit longer, maybe even up to three hours. But it performed extremely well. Here I'll just putting it out. Uh, this is why I smelled of smoke when I came home last night. And uh, you can still see the uh, integrity of the straw uh, bales. They're charred back, but they hadn't just all uh, burnt and disappeared. They're, very, they're quite dense. There isn't a great deal of oxygen in there. So it's an extremely um, successful test. In terms of uh, properties of hemp-lime construction, then putting hemp and lime together is a, a strange combination for a composite. Because this graph shows the absorption of water by hemp against, uh, this is the amount of water, weight gain, percentage weight gain against time. Hemp is, one of the main uses of hemp shiv is as a horse bedding material because it absorbs lots of water. Um, but when you combine it with a material like lime or hydraulic lime, which needs water to set, to actually harden like concrete does, uh, you've got a competition between the water. So you've, in one minute it absorbs over one and a half times its own weight in water which can lead to problems in material quality between um, the material on the outside we've seen is set reasonably well, but in some cases uh, the material on the inside has a poor hydraulic set. And so we're working on understanding this better to get um, a better understanding of more consistent material. The moisture states, this is work undertaken by uh, colleagues in Belgium looking at the different moisture content states of uh, hemp and lime. Again, like um, clay, it's a hygroscopic material. So you get an exchange of moisture between the outside and the inside, particularly in this sort of general state between these two. Uh, this is sort of uh, during construction, and this is sort of really achieved rather than in the laboratory. But between these two states, there's an exchange of water vapor, which helps to regulate, again, the uh, climate uh, internally, and we'll go back to this building, and I know some of you have seen this slide before, but this, I like this slide in a sense, over a 24-hour period in this unoccupied office in that building using hemp-lime walls, you see a change in external humidity over that 24 hours, and the change in external temperature over that 24-hour period, and then a change in internal temperature, and a change in internal humidity over that 24-hour period. And, of course, the, the debate is always, were the sensors working in that 24-hour period? And I'm sure they were. Um, lessons from practice. Uh, I think it's always important that to learn from your mistakes. So mistakes are made. 
the mistakes were made in the development of concretes, con uh, development of uh, steels, development of plastics, and unfortunately mistakes are made here. So what not to do? If you build a chalk wall, don't seal it before it dries out because it gets damp, uh, it keeps the damp in, and you get mold growing on the walls. If you ram a wall, it will have moisture in it, and that moisture needs to dry out. Don't build with damp straw bales, uh, because if they, get, if they are damp to start off with, they will decay. So it's important to keep them dry. Don't build a retaining wall with rammed earth unless you stabilize it with cement, because funnily enough, the earth, when it rains, will get wet, and uh, particularly persistently wet in a retaining wall and fail. In, the, in trying to overcome this competition between hemp and hydraulic binder, the lime, one suggestion was, well, we'll just pre-soak the hemp so um, we'll overcome that problem and the, the, there'll be enough moisture there for the uh, lime to set okay. But we've, we found rather quickly that it provides a nice growing medium for any sort of airborne molds and fungus. Um, and don't underestimate construction skills. This is a rammed earth wall in Wales and... Um, there is in, in construction, and there's always a skill. The industry likes to de-skill, but to get things right, you need the skill. So if you don't compact your walls adequately and you don't control the moisture content to get the right compaction, then you can have failures. Fortunately, with rammed earth, you can pick the material up, remix it, and start again and get it right, hopefully. So looking at getting materials into the mainstream or moving from the fringes, sort of barriers we have, economic barriers both the cost of construction, competing against um, cheaper materials, the problems of obtaining insurance and also mortgages in some cases for private homeowners. There are many knowledge barriers in terms of st we're still understanding materials, performance of materials, how to best design with these, and issues of construction competence. There are many unregulated builders, self-builders, if they, everyone, self-builders generally doing it for the first time, there's a risk that they make mistakes, and if those mistakes get reported, then you have problems of the, uh, um, of the material, and people see a failure in a particular material as a wider problem. And awareness barriers as well in terms of people being aware, and the industry being aware, and the image of these materials within that uh, awareness as well, and associated with that with getting supply and having the skills to deliver. Certainly the biggest barrier I see is the higher cost. People are always saying, well, what's the bottom line? How much does it cost? And judging it against the cheapest form of construction. And so to overcome that, certainly future forecasts suggest that with economies of scale and the increasing energy costs of materials, costs of gas, that the relative cost differential compared, say, with cement will change. But also, these materials are multifunctional often. They provide structure, they provide thermal regulation, humidity, and many other aspects. And we need to force that. We're not just simply replacing concrete <coughs> block work with straw, and it's the same material. They're different materials, giving you different benefits, different properties. In terms of taking the research forward and understanding, then the key aspect that's come up in keeps coming up is, of course, moisture and how these materials respond to water in terms of their durability, their hydrothermal performance, their strength, and how do we model and understand this? And this is something, a challenge for the future. We're also interested in building performance and holistic environmental control. Um, 
And what we want to do is build some buildings using these materials and monitor and understand their performance, look at their air tightness, their moisture control, uh, the, the uh, humidity variation. And one, we, what we hope to do is to build a straw bale building, hopefully on campus maybe, or somewhere uh, close by to, to monitor the performance of this structure over a prolonged period and understand straw bale. And we need to continue to innovate with construction in terms of looking at different ways to make earth panels, uh, to make best use of hemp in terms of its uh, indirect structural benefits to frame members by encapsulating it uh, limits capacity for buckling, and looking at new composite forms of hemp lime with brick masonry. Wider challenges, uh, that's all about new builds, but most buildings that will be here in 100 years' time have probably already been built. And so there's a whole aspect of refurbishment. Hemp lime developed as a refurbishment material for refurbishing traditional frame buildings and seen here used in Suffolk as uh, an infill and in improving the insulation qualities of the wall construction. And, and clay plasters have also been used in the refurbishment uh, and this is ongoing work, and there's a study ongoing at BRE also looking at using these materials in refurbishment. I'm often asked, well, these materials seem okay, straw bale seems fine, but you see the pictures you see of a straw bale building is often in a green field in a farm or somewhere. How do they fit in with an urban environment? We're increasingly urbanizing. Well, here's an example of a straw bale building in fairly, not central, but certainly high density as, uh, in housing area in Montreal, fitting in quite nicely. We've already seen the high density of earth building and the, the design potential for terraced housing using straw bale and hemp lime um, in, uh, ter in terraces. So I think we can overcome that. Much of what I've looked at is using applications in Europe, particularly in this country. Um, the wider aspect of the majority world or the developing world is how do natural materials fit into this. And we're seeing for here an example in Iran where traditional forms of earthen construction are being replaced by modern forms of earth construction. And as we see development around the world, and this is why the forecast for the escalation of cement is because people are moving away from traditional forms of construction, uh, also urbanization of society. And if we do that, then we have big problems. But um, clearly, in some <coughs> vernacular forms of construction have poor performance. Adobe structures in Peru have uh, poor earthquake resistance. But rather than replacing them with uh, concrete or steel structures that may well end up having equally poor uh, earthquake resistance if they're built and designed poorly, you, here's a low-cost form of uh, seismic rehabilitation to render these uh, earth buildings seismically resistant. BRE Centre for Innovative Construction Materials, uh, we've grown in the last two and a half years to the point that we now need a new building. Um, so if there are any benefactors in here who would like to, uh, I'll love to speak to them. Um, our aim is, of course, as a Centre for Innovative Construction Materials, is to build a building with innovative construction materials. I'm often asked, what would I choose? Um, and the reason for showing this is because I once was foolish enough to ask a Frenchman, what did he think, what did he prefer, red wine or white wine? And you know, he was told, he was incredulous. He said, they're two completely different drinks. How could you compare the two? Um, so uh, one is suitable for one occasion, one is suitable for another. And that, that's my response to would I choose to build with hemp lime, straw bale or earth. I think they all have their own qualities and I would use them in a variety of different ways. Sitting on the fence there with various industrial partners in the lecture theatre. 
Right, for, to finish off for the last four minutes, um, taking inspiration from my dean, I'm going to show you, because there's often, um, and I, uh, people often say, well, green buildings are fine, but they're ugly. Um, and I want to hopefully demonstrate that they're not by showing you a few images of traditional buildings and also, um, if I get this right, uh, modern buildings as well. And there's some musical accompaniment, hopefully. One last thing I'd like to say, um, and that's to say thank you to a number of people who I think without their support I wouldn't be here. And um, I'd say, first of all, I'd like to thank Mike Barnes for um, not rescuing me for the obscurity of northern New South Wales, but perhaps bringing me here to Bath in 1998. Um, other colleagues, Tim, Andrew, Paul, uh, Richard, Harris, Vaughan, have all played their part in helping me get here. As many postgraduate students, much of the work I've presented has been the work of students and uh, research officers, in particular John Shanks, Mike Lawrence, have played a big part in helping me get here, as many um, industrial partners have as well. Uh, and finally, of course, I have to thank my sponsors, BRE Trust, and finally thank my family for putting up with me. Thank you. <laughs>